Welcome to the Fierce Authenticity Podcast, where we're having fiercely authentic conversations on life, love, leadership, and our personal and collective liberation. In a culture that benefits from our fear, suffering, and disconnection from source self and others, we're here to shift the narrative so that together we can create the world we want to live in. I'm your hostess, Sharani M. Pathak, and I'm excited for us to dive right in. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited today for us to dive into this extremely poignant and relevant conversation with an amazing human by the name of James Olivia. Now, at the time that we recorded this episode of the podcast, I didn't ask James Olivia what offer they have coming up. And when I reached back out to them saying, hey, I think you have something really valuable valuable that is uh, that you're offering to your community and when does registration for that open they responded and said actually registration is opening tomorrow and so I told them I would take the time to share with you dear listener what it is that James Olivia is all about and what it is that they're doing so James Olivia is doing amazing work as it relates to relationships and the fuckery that we engage in in our relationships. And they have a year-long program opening up called Regard. It is now open for registrations. It is a small group program, and you can learn more about it on their website, inquisitivehuman.com. And I have a feeling that you are going to love what you hear. So when you are listening, just gosh, feel in your body the truth of what they're saying and what's resonating with you in our conversation. So I'll leave you with that and I'll share with you a little bit more about their program regard after our conversation. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to our guest, James Olivia Chu Hillman. I have a story about how I met James Olivia, and I want to share that before we actually dive into their bio. Um, I was on Andrea Renee's Rise Up program, listening into the calls, and I was having a terrible, horrible, awful day. And James Olivia was the guest that day. Somehow, I don't even know what was going on. I was so distracted. And there was just something about James Olivia's energy that I knew I had to look them up. And I hopped over and instantly Instagram stalked them and I fell in love with James Olivia and their work and I knew I had to have them on the podcast. So I am so excited that James Olivia said yes to being here and now I'll share with you more about who they are. So James Olivia Chu Hillman is a relational life and leadership coach and a mediator, facilitator, and enthusiastic advocate of necessary uncomfortable, and life-changing conversations. They work with people who want more joyful connection and less suffering in their relationships with themselves, the people they love, and the world. James Olivia has a passion for asking questions that make us squirm a bit and point us back to who the fuck we are and what we care about most. You can find James Olivia at inquisitivehuman.com and over on Instagram at inquisitive underscore human. 
and I'll have all those links in the show notes. But for now, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much, James Olivia, for being here with us today. Thank you, Sharani, for having me here. I'm super excited to be in this conversation with you. I am super excited too. We have been talking offline a little bit and there's just so much juiciness for us to explore that I think like, let's just dive right in. Let's just do it. And before we totally dive right in, can you share with our listeners a little bit more about you and what brought you into this really powerful work that you do? That's the really long question. <laughs> I don't know that anybody comes into this work just, oh, it seemed nice. I think it's a lifelong journey of at least a handful of horrific relationships where you're like, I have to learn how to do this better because what I'm doing doesn't work and what I've been modeled hasn't necessarily been sometimes not even appropriate, but definitely not you know beneficial or or right relationship. It hasn't been it hasn't been joyful connection all the time. And that's not to say that, you know, I had some terrible, awful childhood and didn't have people who loved me. And I do believe that the way that we're conditioned and socialized, particularly in the United States, teaches us how to be in relationship individually and collectively with one another in ways that are exploitive and extractive and abusive. So that's not how I want to be in relationship with anyone. (sighs) Right. And you are just, we are just getting right in it, James, Olivia, because you've already talked about right relationship. You've already talked about how relationships in our culture, as we've been taught, are very exploitive and abusive. And a couple episodes ago, I actually spoke about exploitation and how that shows up in ourselves and in our relationships and what's been taught to us. So I love that you are just, bam, taking us right there, right off the bat. There's no messing around here. And I want to hear from you. You just mentioned right relationship. And I know that that's one of the things that really drew me in when I was checking out your IG profile is where you talk a lot about being in right relationship. A lot of the work I do in my brick and mortar as a relationship therapist, my book, Fierce Authenticity, all of it is also about getting into right relationship with ourselves. And so when I saw the work that you are doing, I knew we just had to connect. I want to hear from your perspective, what does right relationship mean to you in your framework, in your model, in your idea? Tell us more. I love this question so much. And I also want to hear your answer if you're open to sharing. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Super nosy. Um, So the way that I think about right relationship, I often will frame it up as two questions for people because I don't Mm -hmm. have their answer. So my questions are, is there room for you in this relationship? And is it just and is it sustainable? Oh, goosebumps. So that's, I mean, I wish I had a, like a more elaborate, sophisticated answer, but really it's questions for me. And that tends to be my answer for a lot of things is, oh, wait, I have a question about that or 10. But I would love to also hear how you use these words, right relationship and how you go about defining them. Yeah. Well, first, I just want to pause here real fast and and just like reiterate these questions that you said that it comes down to for you, which is, is there room for you? And two, and correct me if I'm wrong, I was jotting down the notes, but what I caught is, is it just and sustainable for you? 
Uh, just and sustainable, period. Ah, period. Okay. Because it's relationship, I don't know that we can answer. If I ask you, and we'll like, let's talk about the exploitation and the extractive nature of non-consensual relationships, collective and individual. Mm. I might say, yes, this is absolutely sustainable for me. Mm. And if it's not sustainable for you, I don't know that it can be right relationship for me either. I love that because it really puts you in a position of being a companion and not the expert. Like not saying that you're not an expert, but I think a lot of times what happens in relationships when we're working with clients or with students is there's this hierarchical nature that's very damaging where I know what it's supposed to look like. And if that, like in my worldview, that is not sustainable. But if in your worldview, it is sustainable, great, it's sustainable for you, you know, rather than it's wrong, because in my worldview, it's not sustainable. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say. Part of it is, yes, I am not the expert on your relationships, because mm-hmm. I can't be, they're not mine, they're yours. And the other part of it is, relationships don't necessarily require us to actively relate. But if we want to know if the relationship is sustainable, like even in this conversation, if I talked incessantly for the entire interview and at the end of it, I was like, what a great interview. Sharani is like, (laughs) everybody should go on Sharani's podcast. It's the best experience. And you were exhausted from trying Mm. to find a way to edge your own perspective and and relate with your own audience around it because I wasn't giving you any space at all. I might have answered, was there room for me? Yes, Mm. it was great for me. And was it sustainable? Yes, it was great for me. And that's the part where is it just, when I say just, I'm asking, does it regard everyone in the relationship? Am I regarding everyone? And if I'm disregarding you, it isn't just, and I have a really hard time imagining the long-term sustainability of something Mm. that isn't just and disregards somebody in the relationship. Ooh, my heart is like, wow. It is really feeling the truth of what you're saying and what you're sharing. And for me, honestly, I haven't even thought about it in this perspective and using the vocabulary and the language that you're using, which is why I think my heart is like, oh my gosh, like it's beating differently right now as I'm listening to you share what this means and like using the very real example of our conversation. And if it was just a monologue or soliloquy that it may not have been totally sustainable on the other end. And instead, just checking that part. And so to answer your question and come back around to it, my definition or my interpretation of right relationship, and I I appreciate the way that you said it, like, I'm not an expert in someone else's relationship. And so, and I, I have the same model, like the same philosophy that I work from. As being trained as a relationship therapist, I of course have these certain trainings and theories. And and it's funny because James, Olivia, and I were just talking before the recording how we actually have trained with one of the same therapists, Terry Real, who I just love and adore. And he had created the model relational life therapy. And it's amazing. And coming back to the question at hand, for me, what I mean when I talk about right relationship is, is this in alignment with the truth of who you are? Yes. I love that. I I feel like that is such a more eloquent articulation of me going, is there room for you? 
<laughs> well, and it's funny because I'm sitting here thinking the same thing about the way you're asking the question. I'm like, gosh, you're saying it so eloquently and just from a different frame, right? And yeah, you're right. It basically does come down to a very similar, yeah, is there room for you? And I just haven't used the lens of just and sustainable, which is where I think it's really cool to be having these conversations and learning with one another. Yeah. So your question is, is this in alignment with who you are? Mm -hmm. Did I get that? Yeah. I love that. Thank you yeah. for sharing that with me. Now I have more language around this. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking because I think it's really important. And when I say that, like I want to offer a little bit more explanation to listeners who might be like, what's that mean exactly? And to me, is this in alignment with who you are or the truth of who you are is similar to what you said, right? We go through life and we have certain experiences, whether they are the societal experiences or the result of structural and systemic racism and racial trauma, or maybe we have had our own personal abuses or traumas, whether those are big T traumas or little T traumas. Like we all have experiences that shape who we are. And for me, I believe that when those experiences happen to us, we get out of alignment with who we are, like we get out of the truth of who we are. And in that, you know, we take on these behaviors and these habits. In some ways, there's a forgetting of who we actually are. And in other ways, there's a protection and a guarding and a keeping safe yeah. of the parts of us that have been hurt that hold the truth of who we really are. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> It's such a compassionate perspective on what I call relational fuckery. Yes, let's go there. <laughs> okay, so I love that we share this RLT language, the relational life therapy language. So Terry Real calls them losing strategies. Ah, okay. So that's actually where I started with that. I was like, oh, look, losing strategies. That's really great. And these are all very interpersonally focused. And we have more collective and communal losing strategies also. And I didn't want to take his framework and go, oh, hey, and let me just apply this to social justice. <laughs> to me, it's all relational fuckery. It's like, here we are in relationship with each other, enacting fuckery. Mm -hmm. And it can be, it can be something like withdrawal, or it can be unbridled self-expression or something like that interpersonally. And it can be like all of the relational fuckeries that are encompassed or I guess, that sort of comprise Tema Oaken's white supremacy culture article, mm -hmm. like the perfectionism and the urgency and the only one right way mm -hmm. and all of these ways that we show up in sort of dominant cultures of contempt and supremacy that are relational ways of showing up. I mean, I guess Terry Rill would call them anti-relational, but they are how we show up in relationship. And that to me is not just, oh, my perfectionism is making me miserable. And it's no, that's also relational. That's also mm -hmm. impacting other people and impacting your relationship with yourself and your work in the world. Yes. And let's stay with that example right now uh, for a moment, the one about perfectionism and how it is relational because there's several episodes of the podcast already done on perfectionism because that is one of the things that it is one of those patterns. And, and that article, the article that you just shared about, which I will link again in the show notes, I've linked it in other episodes. When I read that article, I was mind blown. I'm like, this is my life. Every single point of it 
was how I operated in the world. And that really helped shift my lens and shift my perspective. And you're right, because when we're operating from a pattern of perfectionism, it not only hurts our relationship with ourselves, we then expect perfection from our partners, from our staff, from our coworkers, from our colleagues. And before you know it, we're like ruining relationships left and right with our desire for things to be perfect. Yeah. I think even beyond our desire for things to be perfect, it is our insistence that other people do not ever make mistakes. That's the sticky part because I love for a thing to be perfect. (laughs) Like if Diego never has to edit out anything from this recording, (laughs) the thing will be perfect. And the perfectionism part of it is that I would feel shame for making a mistake or that I would Mm. have contempt for you for misgendering me on accident once or like that kind of thing where we don't have room for grace and regard in our humanity. Yes. And what you just said, like, dropped in like a truth bomb. And if you can remember what it just was, I would love to hear that repeated about how it's not just about wanting things to be perfect, but it's about not making mistakes. Like, do you recall the part that I'm referring to? About insisting that people are not allowed to make mistakes. Yes. Yes. Let's just pause there for a moment because that's deep. That is deep. And that when they do make mistakes, at least in my world, when they make mistakes and I'm operating from that perfectionism place, they're a terrible, horrible, awful person and exactly what you're saying. I go into contempt because they've done something horrible, terrible, and awful. And, you know, a default behavior of mine that I have been working through for years is, and then I'll cut you off. Like, I'll put up my wall and be like, fuck you. So I love that we're having this conversation because I can also talk about one of my favorite teachers, Desiree Attaway. Mm. And she's the first person that I heard I don't know if she's the only person I've ever heard say this. I I don't know that she coined it herself, but in my mind, it will always come from her because it was so powerful when I heard it. You can make a mistake without being a mistake. Mm. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I too have learned a thing or two from Desiree Attaway. And she is another brilliant person. I will link her in the show notes as well so listeners can learn more about these people that we are talking about having learned from. And I love the succinctness of that sentence because really the work, it it reminds me of Brene Brown and the work that she also does in this world about how shame says that you are a mistake and guilt says you made a mistake. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I'm about to take us down a rabbit hole. Don't let me do it, but I'm just going to like... <laughs> Let's go. Let's go there. <laughs> I'm just going to drop a little bookmark for one of our future conversations. And I'm guessing that you'll pick up where I'm going with your Terry Real background. But this, um, the distinctions between remorse, like mm. healthy remorse, and guilt is some gray area that I haven't quite pinned down yet. So healthy remorse, I'm fully into. It's like, Yeah, Mm -hmm. that is your body telling you that relationally you need to do some repair so that you can be in right relationship with yourself and the other. And it's like, oh, yeah, you you kind of fucked up and it's good information for you to have. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And and I really appreciate that because that's one of the things that I've kind of been toying with. Like I love Brené Brown. I appreciate and adore her work, but I have kind of been sitting with like, but is it really unhealthy? Like, is there some healthy dose of, you know, shame or guilt? And I appreciate how you're reminding me that actually remorse, like a healthy dose of remorse is actually what helps inspire us to the awareness of like, oh yeah, I made a mistake and I have a repair, you know, process to engage in. So I'm learning so much. This is why I love these conversations. Like we just learn, I personally learn so much. And James Olivia, I want to bring it back to relational fuckery. So now you and I know Terry Reel's language about like the losing strategies and stuff like that. But in James Olivia land, I want to hear from you and, you know, let our listeners know, like from your framework and the way that you do your work, what is relational fuckery? If you could define it that. Yes, I can. And I will. (laughs) I actually, you know, I love an Instagram meme. So anybody who already... (laughs) is familiar with me. It's like, oh, you made a meme about that. Yeah. I love Instagram so much. It allows me to make square shaped bumper stickers for the all the time. And so, and they're amazing. If you are like inspired by anything you're hearing listeners, please, please, please go over to Instagram and follow James Olivia at inquisitive underscore human. Thank you for that. So I, I didn't even know that I would like Instagram. I only started So I am definitely in the, I don't even know, am I a Gen X person? Yes, I am. So social media is not my native land. (laughs) (laughs) So I just got on social media in the last couple of years and, and just on Instagram, like last fall, I'm like, this is amazing. You can communicate with so many people and it's actually interactive and it's pretty and like it's yes. fun. So I'm, I'm really into it. Uh, I feel like I'm somebody's grandma right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're in the same generation and I often have s- similar <laughs> beliefs. <laughs> like it just, the internet has not gotten old for me and I don't think it ever will. It's just like a miracle every day. But <laughs> So back to what we were actually talking about, which was relational fuckery and how I define it. I call it the strategies we use when we're trying to win our relationships instead of cultivate intimacy. Uh, One more time, please. (laughs) Relational fuckery is any of the strategies we use when we're trying to win our relationships instead of cultivate intimacy. Mm -hmm. And when I say intimacy, I mean like it could be trust in a collective way as well, just cultivate right relationship where we're going for protecting ourselves or dominating the other or erasing the other at the cost of knowing them and, and knowing ourselves better and differently. Yeah. Oh, thank you for repeating that because that is so powerful. Yeah. I just have to put my thoughts together for a moment here because that was really deep. The strategies we use when we're trying to win our relationships instead of cultivate intimacy. And what this makes me think of is in my work with people when we are, because again, my training is as a therapist. uh, And when I'm on this podcast, I don't have that hat on, but I can't help it. It informs like everything that I do. And for me, the way I talk about it is like, 
the way I view relationships, and that's any relationship, whether it be our intimate romantic partner, our boss, our best friend, like any relationship, is that, you know, we will continue to replay certain patterns in our lives and attempting to win this time. And an example I'll give is like, let's say that growing up, your parent worked a lot and they weren't really available to you because they were always at work. And the only time they were really available to you was when you got the eight, the straight A's, right? And then it was like a pat on the back, a gold star, a yay, you got the straight A's, right? And there's so many layers of complexity in that that we're not going to break down right now, but just sticking focus with, and then you might end up getting into romantic relationships over and over and over again with people who have similar tendencies of working a lot and and you are vying for their attention because you're trying to, for me, it's replaying that childhood narrative, but this time trying to win. And when we're in that, like trying to win this time around, you're absolutely right. Like it does block us from actual true intimacy and not just sexual intimacy, obviously, but the the emotional and transparent connection between two or more individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that example. I often talk about a lot of the relational fuckery that we do in terms of culturally, we're a very punitive culture. Mm, yes. so it's like we, we punish each other with like cold shoulder or shunning or shaming or nagging or like <laughs> all of these things. Like, Physical punishments, emotional punishments, Mm -hmm. material punishments, withholding resources and support, verbal abuse, physical abuse. There are all these things that we do. And I know that reward is on the flip side of that, but I don't give it as much attention. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely part of it. It's like we see it with white folks who are newly doing anti-racism work who are and like the whole joke about like you don't get a cookie for being... (laughs) A decent human being, but like the cookie is the reward, right? The, mm. the affection for getting the straight A's or the attention for getting the straight A's is the reward. And there we tend to think, or I tend to imagine that a reward is somehow better than a punishment because it's not unpleasant, mm. but it's the same paradigm that gets us conditional belonging and conditional, like as if belonging can be conditional, but conditional everything like conditional safety and security and love. Yes. Gosh, that phrase, conditional belonging. It's definitely something other guests and I have had, like a conversation other guests and I have had on the podcast around how we operate in this certain way, like being part of the status quo, thinking that there's safety in that or that there's belonging in that. And actually like that that is oftentimes, especially in oppressive structures and systems and relationships, that that is actually not true, that that is a false sense of belonging. Robin Morning, um, I have a couple episodes with her, and she is an anti-oppression consultant and does a lot of social justice work as well. And a couple conversations that she and I have had, like there's this direct quote that I am recalling where it's like just about the false belonging. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the podcast. If you're enjoying what you're hearing and you'd like to contribute to the sustainability and accessibility of the podcast, then please find your way over to the show notes where you'll find several different ways that you can contribute 
and support the podcast, and also an invitation on how you can join the Fierce Authenticity community. Even the falsity of the phrase conditional belonging, belonging is by definition not something that can be conditional. Like we exist, therefore we belong. And so what mm. what I feel like we're doing or not feel like, but what I believe that we're doing culturally and in our relationships is mistaking acceptance or tolerance. Mm. We're mistaking other things for belonging and calling it belonging. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that last thought about how we're confusing acceptance with belonging? Yes. And if you heard that creepy squeaking door, that was, hi, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I always love it when we have visitors joining us. (laughs) It's fun. It's real life. It's real life. Yeah. There's, this is kind of new to me. I was, I am doing work with Dr. Jen McCabe uh, over the course of this year and the next four years of my life. And one of the things that we, yeah, it's a big deal for me. Um, (laughs) One of the things that we just did that I did in a a group of some of my favorite humans was explore different congruence statements, like statements of what we're up to. And it really is just, you know, I followed by a verb of what we're up to. So like right now I talk, that's what I'm doing with you. Or I share conversation with you. And one of the things that really struck me was I accept, I tolerate, I reject, I include, I exclude. Like these are things that I can do. I can do them to myself. I can do them to you. Mm. I belong. I can't belong from you. (laughs) If I choose to belong to you, that's me doing the belonging. That's not you belonging me. Mm. I belong. No one else can belong me. It's a choice that I make and it's an it's something that I have. It's an option that's available to me at any moment that I want to make that decision. I belong. So whether I choose it or not, that's up to me. Belonging is not something that can be granted to me by any external source other than say mm-hmm. God or spirit or the universe, like if wherever you recognize a power greater than yourself. But the belonging can't be granted or denied to me by some other person or group. Mm-hmm. Acceptance and tolerance can be granted or denied, but those aren't belonging. You're like blowing my mind here in a very soft, gentle way. <laughs> I have to sit with that for a moment and put my thoughts together because you're just giving me a whole different framework for thinking about belonging versus acceptance versus tolerance. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's that that both and of I can be excluded and still belong. And how is that even possible? Like my brain blows mm-hmm. up when I think about that and my heart knows it's true. Yeah. And again, I am just letting that soak in these truth bombs you are dropping on us today like whoo. Yeah. Yeah, because there's this idea, and even I am learning in this very moment that this idea is perhaps erroneous, where 
being part of a group means that we belong. Yeah. And instead, what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing you say is that really that is me relying on someone else for my belonging, but that's not for them to do. I need to belong me. And that's between me and my creator. That's between me and my God, my source, my spirit, my higher power. And the world in which we already exist. How do I know I belong? Because I'm fucking here. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yes. Because I'm already here. Yeah. This this idea that other people, that a group can include me. Yes, that doesn't mean that I do or, or don't belong. Like they can exclude, they can include, reject, accept. Yeah. So I'm curious here, I'm going to ask if you're open to sharing some tips on how, even myself included, but also listeners, like how would one start to take ownership of that belonging? Oh, we might be way ahead of my skill set now. (laughs) Oh, okay. I know what I'm doing but I wouldn't call this a prescription. It's what I'm up to. Um, I think even that, that bit about knowing and claiming and articulating what it is we're up to, like, Mm -hmm. what is the congruence? Like, because I can exclude myself. Like if that's what I'm up to, like, do I exclude myself? Do I distance? Do I withdraw? Do I hide? Do I assume? Do I overprotect? Mm. A lot of smaller decisions can come out of the bigger decision to belong or to not belong. And so this is going to sound like an utter oversimplification, and it is. So I apologize. Like if anybody picks this up and is like, what the hell are you talking about? It's you're like, just belong. No, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's like saying, yeah, forgive, just get over it. I don't believe in that either. But I am saying that it is a decision and a decision not necessarily easily made, not made perhaps without support and healing and Mm -hmm. intention and perhaps years of desire to make the decision before you actually have the capacity and the skill and the support around doing it. So I'm not saying it's easy, but is it as simple as a decision? Yes, it is a decision. And no, it is not an easy one for many of us. It wasn't for me and it still isn't. It's a thing that I wake up and tell myself when I'm having um, a mind full of thoughts that would distance me from my partner or from my work in the world for me to say, I decide I belong. Like I decide that today I belong. Yeah, and and I'm really appreciating the questions that you put out there in that almost like self-assessment. And as I was listening to the questions that you were saying, it makes me think of a concept that I refer to as the Insta wall. <laughs> and not the kind that's cute and pretty on Instagram, like the kind that automatically goes up when we ourselves believe that we are not worthy of belonging, like that we are, and I'm actually, the words that are going to, um, that are coming through right now is like when we withhold belonging from ourselves. Exactly. Nobody can see me except you, but I'm touching my nose with my index finger. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The yes. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. And that is what it leads me to think of. 
Oh, so juicy. And I appreciate the realness and the rawness of you sharing those questions and saying like, actually, I'm not the expert exactly in that, but here's what I'm doing and here's what's helping me. And I'll put it out there like those are very similar questions that I sit with and ask myself. And now I have a new frame of it, right? Because for me, it was just making a decision to distance based on unconscious patterns and beliefs. And and sometimes after doing a decade and a half of my own personal work so far, sometimes I'm conscious that that wall is going up, but I just can't help it in that moment. And instead, what I like the frame that I'm going to walk away and kind of a different lens to put on it is when am I choosing to allow myself to belong and when am I withholding? Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is so deep. And you've already mentioned it because you've said it over and over several times, this idea of contempt. And to let our listeners in to a little bit of the behind the scenes, when James Olivia and I had our first conversation, our like get to know you call, I had mentioned to James Olivia, I was like, yeah, and now I'm learning there's so many words because first it was just the patriarchy. And then it was like the colonial capitalist patriarchy. And then it was like the colonial capitalist white supremacist patriarchy. And like you could continue to add more and more words words. And when I shared this with James Olivia, your words back to me were very simple about like how it all boils down to contempt. So let's talk about contempt. And actually, I can see how this so beautifully ties in with the belonging piece because there's also self-contempt as a part of that. So let's talk about contempt. Okay. Yes, let's because... I know I've already said this a couple of times, but I'm so excited that you shared the relational life framework because this is, I think the first time I, I really started paying attention to contempt was hearing Terry Real talk about grandiosity and shame as you know, grandiosity being, I'm the center of everything and I am loaded with contempt and my contempt is aimed outward. Mm-hmm. Whereas shame is, I am also the center of everything and I am also loaded with contempt and my contempt is directed inward at myself. So that these are really two sides of the exact same coin. It's like there's, I can't get out of my contempt by mm. shaming myself. I can't get out of my contempt for you by shaming myself because I'm still drenched in contempt. And I can't get out of my shame by moving to grandiosity and thinking that I'm going to escape contempt because I still have it all. And now it's just directed at other people. And now I'm like, why is everybody so awful? And why do I have to like take care of everything myself and all the things that come with grandiosity? Then Jen McCabe talks about, you know, cultures of contempt or culture of contempt. I can't remember which. Sorry, Jen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But how all of these supremacist paradigms, like all of these systems, you know, cis heteromonogamous patriarchy, ableism, fat phobia, transphobia, capitalism, colonialism, white supremacy, all of these things and more, all of the other things that come along with it. Ground zero really is the dehumanization of the other. And I think the way that Jen talks about it is I, I know better, I see better, I do better. I am better. Mm. Um, so that that's what happens in our, you know, in the relating that we do. Contempt comes through as you are less than. I I have all of the knowledge and the wisdom and the strategies mm. and all the things that that you lack. Poor you. 
um, or terrible you or whatever I need to call you to dehumanize you and elevate myself. And then we do this collectively and systemically in like you know, with our misogyny and anti-blackness and the way that, you know, in, especially in the U.S., we completely shit on you know, people living in poverty and the way that we treat fat people and the way that we dehumanize really any difference that we're not okay with. Mm. And not just any difference we're not okay with, but also any difference that we can possibly extract and exploit. Yeah. And that word dehumanize keeps coming up over and over in the conversations that I'm having with other guests. And I think it's important for us to continue reiterating and talking about that because that's exactly what it is. We make them less than human. Mm -hmm. We objectify. Yes. And one of the things that when you were talking about contempt and when you started explaining it in Terry's model of grandiosity and shame, and when you were describing it and in my head, like all the light bulbs were starting to ping, like, oh my goodness, like I see how that applies to social justice and how that is a reflection of what we see in our culture at large. And one of the ways that what you're talking about, like the you are less than, like one of the ways that I talk about it in my work is that anytime we go into the, I am better than you and you are less than me. And then when we have that pattern, we also usually have an underlying pattern of someone else is better than us and we are less than them. And then there's this never ending power over power under thing that's going on. I love that we're talking about this so much. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring in again, the white supremacy culture article where one of the elements of supremacy culture is a right to psychological comfort. Yes. And so what we tend to do when we're uncomfortable, like emotionally and psychologically and physically uncomfortable in the contempt for others or the contempt for ourselves and the dehumanization is really the objectifying of me or you so that I can pinpoint the problem that I have to eliminate so that I can eradicate my discomfort. So if you're the problem, then now I know that I can diminish, I can erase, I can attack or control or avoid mm. you to take mm. care of my discomfort problem. <sighs> And when you go there and the way that you're describing it, it makes me think of how we do the same thing internally within ourselves and all that stuff is what becomes the shadows in our psyche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm the problem. Like I'm too much. I'm too loud. I'm too opinionated. I'm too smart. I'm too whatever. Um, and and it, is it is making me uncomfortable when it surfaces in situations where other people are uncomfortable with it. And so I must be the problem. Mm. Oh, yes. And I'm curious, James Olivia, can you share with us more about what it was for you that like that light bulb went off and it was like, oh my gosh, like contempt really is the root of all of these isms and ists and like all that that we see. I wish that I could say it was a light bulb for me. I'm... <laughs> I was studying relational life therapy with Terry Real and studying with Desiree Attaway kind of at the same time. Ah. And so I'm learning all this 
social justice analysis and foundation and also this you know interpersonal intimate relationship analysis and foundation and then through whatever path I've gone down to study with Andrea mm-hmm. um, and to learn you know skills for relating from Andrea who learned them from Jen McCabe and Jen speaking specifically to cultures of contempt and mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's in even in her bio where she's opposing contempt is actually part of like what she's here to do. Mm. I am definitely interested in learning more from Jen McCabe. Like her name keeps coming up over and over again. And I definitely followed her on Instagram and I need to go do some further following because I really appreciate so far everything that her other students have shared with me. And so that is definitely someone that I am going to go explore a little bit more and learn from. And a question that I had for you as you were describing that you were actually kind of in parallel training with Terry Real on our intimate relationships and then Desiree Attaway on social justice and cultural and systemic things. And like, what led you to blend those, what most people would consider seemingly opposite things, but they are so not opposite at all. Like they are so intertwined. And what led you to being on that parallel path at the same time? It's funny. I, autism, I don't know. Uh, Like just the way my brain connects dots in Mm -hmm. weird ways, but they didn't feel opposite to me at all. Okay, I would love to let my brain take credit for it, but I don't think I can do that. I think what really it came down to was specifically studying with Desiree and and Nicole Lee, who teach, at that time was mm-hmm. teaching a class, you know, Courageous Confident Conversations. None of the work that I was exposed to in social justice learning, there was no way that any of that happened without relationship and Desiree and Nicole's insistence on right relationship on there's a thing that that Desiree would ask people who are like how do I talk to my racist great uncle at the you know dinner table during the holidays and let him know that you know things that he's saying is not okay or how do I have this conversation with my coworker or my colleague or how do I illuminate what is utterly problematic to an associate who's invited me into their organization to like guest lead something and I like have to have this really uncomfortable conversation with them or I like these are places where I get to really engage with my integrity in a different way that's going to require me to be more assertive more visible about what's true for me and there are risks involved. There are relational risks involved because that mm. seems to be the thing that keeps most people back from showing up for the things that they say they're about. Mm. And then they're very quiet. Like when I say they, I should just say we because this is something <laughs> we, we all do it. We <laughs> do. Um, some of us don't. And my God, these people are my heroes. But the risks aren't just material, they're relational risks. Mm. And so the question that Desiree asked in multiple spaces, and I love this question so much, what is the relationship you want to have with this person at the end of this Mm. conversation? I think we kind of get to a wanting to have some really hard and fast rules about how you're supposed to show up for social justice, how you're supposed to Mm. behave. 
I can tell you what your integrity looks like. And I can't, I'm not the expert on your relationships. That's where we come all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) You live a life that is made up of relationships and you are the expert on them and you're the only one who inhabits them. Mm. And so the question then becomes, how do you navigate your relationship one with yourself and your integrity? Mm-hmm. And then relationally, what does it look like to do the work that is most important to you in the world, whether that's social justice, whether that's parenting, whether that's being a therapist or being a dog groomer or mm-hmm. like being an author or whatever it is you're up to, how do you engage in that work no matter what it's all relational work? Yeah. And so that's, I think, where the marriage of like what I was learning in relational life therapy work, I was like, it's the same to me. This is all very much the same. And the same things that show up in our intimate relationships, like all the losing strategies and relational fuckeries there show up in social justice circles and show up in our politics and Mm. show up at school and show up at work. And so it's not different to me. Yeah. Oh. I am just feeling like this is a really good spot for us to close and to leave listeners with something to continue further contemplating on. So with that, are there any final, final thoughts for our listeners, tips, suggestions, other ideas to leave them with as they are percolating on how contempt really is the root of all of these isms and the relational fuckery that we see in the world and the walls that we put up that prevent our belonging, um, how we withhold that from ourselves. Like, is there any other thoughts that come to you that you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah. There are lots of things that I I say. I always say this. There's a question that I have and it, it feels like one of the antidotes to contempt. And the question is, is there room for grace? Oh, you asked that question, my whole body just like, relaxed. Is there room for grace? Mm. I love that as the antidote for, or an antidote for contempt. Thank you again so much, James, Olivia, for taking time to be here with us and share your work with us and where can people find you? I mean, we've been talking all about your IG and where can people find you officially legit for real? That to me is a completely official, legit, real place to find me. I I love to engage on Instagram. So if I had somebody recently try and protect me from like well-meaning white folks who might slide into my DMs and I'm like, oh no, please come on in. Like, Aww. let's have this conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I love messages there. I love comments there. Like I will reply to you mostly. Some I don't, but. (laughs) Well, and I will attest to that. Like that's how you and I connected initially. I like just slid right into your DMs and I was pleasantly surprised when you responded back and we had a dialogue. And it's funny, I want to go back and kind of like correct. Like I'm not saying IG is not legit. I'm just saying like where your place for people to like really find you. That's a really good place. And then also my website, inquisitivehuman.com. Although to me, that's almost like 
that's the storefront. That's the kind <laughs> of like, it feels less personal because I can't interact with people there. And so part of what I love about Instagram is like, I'm active there and I, I love it. I love to get to see who you are. And if you have pictures of dogs, I trust you more already, <laughs> like right off the bat. It's a thing I have. No wonder you DM'd back with me. <laughs> <laughs> I totally stalk people who follow me. And I'm like, do you have a dog? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that you're admitting that. I That is so great. So thank you again so much for being here, for joining us, for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your message, your mission, your ministry with us. Uh, thank you. And all the links are in the show notes. And please go connect with James Olivia, Inquisitive Human. You are going to love what you see. How amazing was that conversation that we had? We talked about so many things and touched on so many topics about all the fuckery we engage in in our relationships, the ways that we dehumanize ourselves and others and how that impacts everything. And you know that we really are doing the best that we can until we know better. And so I want to share with you more information about James Olivia's Regard program, and I'm going to read to you straight from the page, letting you know what it is about. So the program that James Olivia is currently accepting registrations for is a beautiful small group year-long program called Regard, an exploration of right relationship. If belonging is our birthright, how did it come to be that so many of us know so little about creating and nurturing deep connection and sustainable relationships? Here we are, fully grown humans, having somehow missed out on foundational skills, practices, and perspectives that support us in choosing right relationship with ourselves and one another. The important conversations we need to have sit and fester. In our desire to stay connected, we grasp at familiar habits. We ignore, dismiss, or try to fix other people or ourselves. We act tougher or more helpless than we are. We expect our partners to just know what hurts or pleases us and feel frustrated and justified in our belief that we shouldn't have to ask for what we want and need. We hold our tongues and see and seethe silently at serial boundary steppers so others won't see us as angry or unkind. We beg for or demand attention and validation where there is none to be had. We pretend we're not hurting. We pretend we're not scared. We pretend we're not disappointed. We pretend we're not powerful, amazing, talented, brilliant. We pretend and pretend until we can't pretend anymore. And then we lash out and say the things we really mean, but didn't mean to say quite like that. We shun, we rage, we withdraw, we chase, we attack, we defend, we avoid, we control. And this is the short list. 
Whew, I am just sitting in that, and that's just the introduction to what regard is, an exploration of right relationships. So if you enjoyed the conversation between James Olivia and myself, and you're curious to learn more about regard and their program that is now open for registration, then head on over to inquisitivehuman.com so that you can learn more and see if this is right for you. Until next time, take really good care and we will speak again soon. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. I want to give credit where credit is due and acknowledge all of the amazing humans who help make this podcast possible, starting with our main cover photography, which is by Jillian at Epoxy Studios. Cover design, transcripts, blog posts, and all of the pretty IG quote graphics you see are done by my assistant, Ana Olvina. Custom music and editing is done by my editor, Diego Velasquez. And though this isn't a human, I do want to acknowledge that all messages that you hear on the podcast are channeled through the divine wisdom that flows through me. If you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to get in on ways to support the podcast and get in on community, there's many ways to do so. Starting with rate and review the podcast in your favorite podcast app. Share the podcast with everyone you know, including screenshotting it and sharing it on IG. And when you do that, please be sure to tag me at Sharani M. Pathak. If you have the financial means to do so, then please head on over to coffee.com slash Sharani. That's ko-fi.com slash Sharani, where you can make a one-time or monthly contribution starting at just $5. It takes upwards of $300 a month to support my podcast team. And by making a financial contribution, you're contributing to the podcast and you're supporting all of us and the labor that we are doing to make this podcast possible for you. And lastly, if you want in on the Fierce Authenticity email community where I share behind-the-scenes info, stories I don't share anywhere else, and opportunities to get first dibs on anything I'm offering, then head on over to www.fierceauthenticity.com slash newsletter to join the community. As a welcome gift, you'll receive an audio training I've recorded just for you on what fierce authenticity is and why it matters at this revolutionary time on our planet. Until we meet again, take really good care.